Hey, Wonderfuls, welcome to episode 333 of the JV Club with my more or less boy of summer, Mr. Neil Patrick Harris. Uh, I say more or less because this is actually a recording, an audio recording of the live tribute to Neil that we did at SF Sketchfest back in January. And uh, so one thing that you that you will find absent certainly is the mash game. Uh, I have every intention of catching up with Neil and, uh, and getting a chance to sort of play that with him because I think he would love it as much as I love doing it. Um, So that is on my agenda, but uh, I thought it was a a really fun afternoon and and, and I wanted to be able to share that with you. So I hope you enjoy it as we uh, consider him one of our very special boys of summer. You will, of course, also not hear him sing Don Henley's Boys of Summer. But you know what? If you need to hear him sing something, treat yourself and just do a Google search uh, of any number of of things that you can can find Neil singing in because he's a wonderful, wonderful singer, as you probably are already know. Alrighty, I will uh, talk to you guys soon. Hope everyone's having a great summer. Folks, please put your hands together for Mr. Neil Patrick Harris. That was very professional I, and so cool. I just want to say that our technical uh, sort of director of the entire festival, Heather Gallagher, put that together in addition to managing like 300 shows. So I was dazzled and impressed and excited. Is that the excited. same Heather that picked me up at the airport? Different Heather. Oh, okay. <laughs> she was nice. I will say there was a time at F- SF Sketchfest where it absolutely would have been the same Heather <laughs> yeah. or just would have been me. It's exciting to be here at the sketch of the fest. Uh, on, at the last of it, though, is fun because all of you guys are kind of bleary. Yeah. yeah. We sort of move in a sort of jelly-like manner. A little glazed. If jelly could get tired. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. I think of jelly as tired. I don't think of jelly as super attentive. Oh, you do? I guess that's true. <laughs> well, it knows it's about to be eaten, so I don't know how... It's either going to panic or just kind of allow it to happen. <laughs> like my sex life. And that's jelly, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm very proud of you. The, the fact that you three, but you know, I know you personally have have spent so much of your time giving back to the town where you once lived, and and it is a beast, a juggernaut every year to put all of these things together. For every every evening, there's multiple shows with multiple people, and all of those people have to have flights and have to have rooms, and there's com- complications. Yes, they do. <laughs> no, it's just a very impressive thing that you do it. Yeah, In addition to you, you, all of your acting and all of the other things you do. I'm being effusive, but it's I uh, think what's happening great. is you're hosting this right now. Yeah, so that... He went right into it. He was like, and I'm hosting. Yeah. I guess I I'm okay with that. I think that these people appreciate just how much, how hard it is to, uh, to do what you do. Neil, I couldn't possibly... No shit. I'm so glad that you came back. You've been to the festival in the past. Um, you and I both have terrible memories because we do too much. Yeah. So I was actually trying to remember exactly which one it was. The um, last time I think I was, yeah. I interviewed Brian Henson. 
You interviewed Brian Henson a different year that you did the Thrilling Adventure Hour, I Correct. think. Correct. Which was also a different year than the year you almost came, and then you had to shoot the Muppets. I think you had to shoot the Muppets. Yeah. And then you sent... You, this, is, this, is, this, is, this is a very classy person. First of all, he hates making a commitment and then not being able to fulfill that commitment. Um, and he avoids it at all costs. And in this particular situation, he absolutely did have to do it because it was a very large group. I think it was the group scene, right? Where you're part of the kind of the telethon yep. in the Muppets and they just needed him when they needed him. And I am the last person who's going to say like, Muppet Schmuppets. Uh, <laughs> although that was pretty fun to say. <laughs> um, and it's so he back. said, yeah. He, and, and so instead of saying, like, I'm so sorry, guys, best of luck to you, he said, I'm working on finding you some kind of replacement. And uh, he sent Jason Siegel <laughs> instead. It's <laughs> just like, we'll take him. That's great. Yeah. So, Who was oddly not doing the Muppets that day. I know, isn't that weird? <laughs> it actually is really weird. Yeah. Because I don't even know if I put those two things together at the time. Yeah, Maybe he, he was like, scene. yeah. Uh, but you got to do the Muppets. That's a pretty big deal. Muppets are amazing. Puppets are amazing. I, the the yeah. whole... My two idols growing up were Jim Henson and Walt Disney. Yeah. So now, I get, now I've gotten to go and, and play at the Disney theme parks and go backstage, and I'm just such a geek about that kind of stuff. I'm so glad you still are. I love animatronics and pneumatics and how it works. I like how things work. Yeah. Right now, it's like my brain. I'm very... I like escape rooms. You, you know? like escape rooms? Well, that's, and that's magic as well. Magic. Right? Because you, and this actually, uh, by the way, we're going to be all over the place. Yeah. I have a lot of note cards, uh, but if I were to just go completely autobiographically in terms of like, you know, why don't you tell us about this now? Why don't you tell us yeah. about 2002 now? Uh, I would say, by the way, if you're interested in a very, very fun autobiography, you should read Nails because it's a choose-your-own-adventure autobiography. <laughs> Uh, he dies in it so many times. <laughs> I'm, not the, I'm not a person who asks, like, what was your favorite? Uh, so I'm not going to ask him what his favorite death was, but secretly I wonder if there were, like, a bunch of deaths on the cutting room floor, as it were. Like, nah, I don't know. We, you know, suffocated by licorice twists didn't make it. It just didn't quite... We had five or six really good deaths in it, and then we thought it was funny that you just kept dying the same way yeah. in the past. <laughs> Yes, I was. Yeah, a, I, was I like the choose your adventure idea. Yeah. I was an early bander snatcher. I was. Please, that's. I was gonna say you absolutely. Have you done bander snatch? I, I have done bander snatch. I've only done that? it once. You know, so the Netflix. Netflix Black Mirror. Charlie Brooker has the new thing. It's bander snatch, and it's a choose your own adventure Black Mirror episode that can only be done in 2019 yeah. with wide, very heavy bandwidth, smart, right? You know, yeah. Can you do it in, uh, at home by clicking you on can, the TV? You can do it at home. You can do it on your computer. You, it, it has to be something that you can kind of click and respond to. So you can't do it... I, like, well, I thought I could do it on my, with my Apple TV. Um, actually, let's just get a guy from Netflix out here. Could you come out here and explain... <laughs> no, but I love that technology and the, the, no, the idea of, make, of making the technology that allows a multiple bandwidth thing. Go, yeah. Like, um, what's it called when it's uh, uploading? To have all of those various... Like, the, the, the breadth and... Yeah, we're not... I mean... Buffering. Thank you. What up, thank you for that buddy. complicated, never-before-heard term. <laughs> Buffering, huh? Yeah, that's a good word. Interesting. I had to remember Not that. Not too one. hard to remember. Yeah. That was I was fascinated by the diff like there were they actually sort of started sharing the statistics on who chooses what 
And I, and I got, I was so excited and proud that, uh, that my sweetie and I chose like the rarest, like we, we ended up on one of the rarer courses. We're like, oh. It's like, it's like finding out anything. Like what's your astrological sign? Gemini. Lucky. Like it could be <laughs> just any, like, oh, I got it. So there's a couple, like you can sort of feel lucky, but yeah, you could sort of make yourself feel special about anything if you set your mind to it. But I just like the idea of content being anti-structure. Yeah. And I don't know that that's necessarily anti-structure, but it just changes the, the, the way you watch stuff. Right? Absolutely. So that's, that's why the Choose Your I mean, Own Autobiography was that way if you got... If you wanted to know all about Barney Stinson stories and Harold and Kumari stuff, you could do that. Yeah. But if you were like super into the gay stuff, or just, you just start Neil on that dying. Page. If you're just real into Neil um, dying, so many opportunities. But then just the one opportunity over and over. Uh, no, but that is very you, and that that's that's one of the things about you that um, that I think is is kind of wonderful is that you are sort of that also. Which is to say, you are one of the most sort of diversely talented, but also interested in so many different things, hmm. um, person, uh, people that I know, that, that it makes sense to me that every new thing you do is both a surprise and also like, oh, of course. Like, of course Neil is producing immersive theater. Of course he's a magician. Of course he's, uh, you know, dancing and doing the most complicated stuff. Uh, out there on television with, you know, casts of, of all of the Broadway musicals at once. There's a sense of, um, I was about to say joie de vivre. Oh, gosh. Am I really going to start so throwing like, around terms like that? It's like a ferocity. I don't yeah, know. Well, yeah. Like a voraciousness. You, it is. That I'm trying to quell a little but bit. But I think that's great because that it's, I think it, it is it encouraging to anyone to sort of go, well, if there's this other thing, like if you sort of identify yourself as like, I'm just this kind of person, then you're not leaving yourself open to the opportunities, the choose your own adventures, if you will, uh, nice. of, of these other things that you can find exciting. And, and I think your enthusiasm for them is what ends up tying it all together and, it, and why it makes sense, why each thing kind of makes sense to me. I think that, I think that it's, a good, it's a good tenant in life to not just be complacent and work on a singular thing that you know how to do well, but I think it's important to try and and learn new skill sets. And as an actor, I'm in a very unique and exciting uh, place where we get to do that. From job to job, you're meeting new people, you're having to sort of reinvent yourself as a character. But even within that little world, and it might have been from having done Doogie Howser when I was young, right? That was six, 16 to 19. Pause for our cheers. Oh, thanks. He was so sexy. <laughs> <laughs> so weird to see and watch clips of myself when I'm talking like this and I, like, like mainlining Accutane because my face is just broken out. Oh, that was, I mean, listen, you survived Accutane. That in and of itself is an achievement. But I think maybe having done television uh, and, and having that name uh, being so recognized by a, a, such a recognizable name that wasn't my actual name, yeah. then I was interested in, in not shedding that, but in, in doing something, proving myself in a different way. Sure. So it was, it was sort of in two reasons, right? I, I wanted to not just be known as a TV actor person, because there's lots of other opportunity. That opportunity came to me in a really fortuitous way, and so I wanted to be able to show that I had had skills to do other things. 
But I also just like to learn to do other things. I see people who are just afraid to sing karaoke or afraid to dance or afraid to do stuff that might be flop sweaty. And I think that flop sweaty, that feeling is uncomfortable, but but um, inconsequential. Mm. You know, it's not, it's of consequence to you when it's happening, but then, well, like, I did an improv set uh, at the Speakeasy two nights ago, yeah. and I was the monologist, and you're supposed to come out there and just talk, and then the amazing improvisers do long form about what you said, and I was so nervous, because I didn't know what I had, you're not, you're not supposed to tell stories, you're supposed to get suggestions and just free associate. I was so nervous. I mean, like, actively I loved, sweaty, I loved nervous, how nervous about you were, it. Which sounds like but then, celebratory. I loved how nervous but, you were. <laughs> but then it went well. It was fun because even if you, I fumbled, which I did, they got to use that as part of the fodder. But at the, at the end of it, we were, you know, performing downstairs in a speakeasy comedy club in a town in the middle of, of, of America, right? Yeah. So it's not of great consequence, and yet I was really nervous and freaked out about it. So I think it's important to do as many skill sets, challenges as you can. Absolutely. To travel to places, to just yeah. have your bucket list be full. Does, does your, because I, I absolutely associate all of that with the sort of, you know, the live nature of doing the Tonys or, you know, doing live theater. Mm. Um, obviously, when you're doing something like Hedvig, you're doing the same, essentially the same show over and over, but it's also all live atmosphere where sure. things can happen and do and audiences are different and so the energy is different. Does that uh, rush of adrenaline that you get from those moments, um, do you experience that? Are you, are you also the person who goes skydiving is I guess my question. You know, or do, do you find that you thirst for those kinds of exciting experiences outside or is it fulfilled by those things that you do in entertainment? Oh, I definitely like to skydive and to do crazy stuff physically. I think that while my hips are still okay, yeah. I, should, I should challenge them. <laughs> so I like, um, I like the physical stuff. Yeah, I guess I'm a bit of a thrill seeker in that way. Well, we've got a surprise like... for you, because what? we're going to be amazing. Silks? <laughs> Up into the air. Silk act, that we want. Yeah. Um, I, don't, I don't know what the question was. Oh. <laughs> because I interrupted you by just stating something that couldn't be answered as a question. And then I interrupted even that to say that we had a, some sort of daredevil stunt for you. I, uh, loved, I loved and have gotten recently to, be, to do, to challenge myself. And, and I did a variety show for NBC for a season called Best Time Ever. Um, and apparently it wasn't. <laughs> But it was, it was live, it was live, live, live. Yes. It wasn't live to tape and then edited down. And, and there was a thing called the end of the show show. And, uh, and every week we'd do something crazy different. So yeah, I was breathing fire and doing backflips off of pneumatic pogo sticks and uh, the tramp wall. I did all kinds of crazy things. And I'm not quite sure. I was just interested in challenging myself and seeing what I could do and how it would go. And maybe from the, the Tony Award Adrenaline, that was kind of fun. But it's, yeah. a, it's, it's a grueling. It's nice to, I'm, I like this series of unfortunate emptiness. I like yeah. being able to make art in addition to the fly by the seat of your pants. Hope it all goes well one-offs. Sure. When was the first time, uh, or, or, or roughly the first time, I, I'm trying to remember from, I, I didn't see a lot of Dookie House, or I'm so sorry. Um, Maybe when we do the audience Q&A later, 
that exchange can happen, I can find out more. Maybe someone else has the answer to this too, but... What would be your question? Thematically, again, maybe am I not ever gonna ask a question? Sure. Were there episodes on Doogie Howser where you you would suddenly transform, like in your fantasy, you're an old man, or you're you know, were there was there special effects kind of makeup stuff happening as early as that in your oh, career? Special effects stuff. Um, that was eighty nine to ninety two, so the, the prosthetic technology wasn't as, as advanced as it is now. I think there was an episode where someone had uh, rhinoplasty, so she had a bigger uh, nose, and then got that. But that, that wasn't me. That wasn't you transforming no. in some way. It was really an honor your mother, I think, when I did Old Man Barney. Um, and Large Barney. Yeah. Uh, that that was, we were able to do that. How did you react to being transformed in that way? It was fun. Those were trickier because you didn't have much time to get used to it. Because... On a situation comedy, you know, you, you have to make the days, and it's very quick. So I was just, I had half an hour or something. But doing Olaf, and, and that was fun. And again, I was like, thanks. I was like, I was wanted to challenge myself with that. I always wondered when I watched Star Trek and things, the people who, whose character required all that makeup, what it felt like to move your face within when it's hidden by something else, right? How much adhesive is on there? How, how subtle can you be? And the technologies are pretty impressive now, so, but it is just a lot of glue all over your face. Yeah. And, every, and, when, and every bubble, you know, they have to, you could see it. So it was, it was a very time, uh, time uh, labor, time labored, sure. laboring time of uh-huh. time. I think we actually have a, like a little snippet from a series of unfortunate events just to kind of look at and get a sense of you really some right of those prosthetics. Oh, is this a joke? No. Oh, wow. This is so not. Cool. Maybe we could take a look. Because I think even in this clip, you... is in my blood. It's what I know. It's how I live my life. I am Count Olaf, the renowned actor. I'm one of perhaps the greatest actors to have graced the boards, and I find it sad and deplorable that more people haven't seen me in all of my grandeur, but there's still hope. For myself, Acting is an internal combustion of personal enjoyment. It does not provide much in the way of finances. It does allow me to pilfer many of my wardrobe items. This was from a one-man show I did in 2003. What a wonderful question you've come up with. I would say, counting off, obviously, I would probably say Stefano, which was the character I played for a small time. Very believable. Third on Mount Rushmore, Shirley St. Ives. I'm Dr. Orwell's receptionist. My name is Shirley. Shockingly, another character I played myself. And last on my list, Olaf, Stefano, Shirley, and Malcolm Jamal Warner. Okay. (laughs) That was a behind. Obviously, that was a little behind the scenes, but there were so many other little... Wonderful characters buried inside. I just thought it was fun. You really had to, in order to make a a surprised expression as Olaf, you had to 
go bigger than that. So it was weird acting. Olaf was super fun, but oddly complicated because every episode he puts, he dons a disguise, but it wasn't Neil playing a different character, it was Olaf playing a different character, and Olaf's a terrible actor. So, you, so I had to do a different thing, a different voice, a different physicality, but it had to be bad enough that Olaf would be doing it, and I had to kind of flip from one to the other, and then they kept adding new ones, so I had to keep finding new voices and new inflections, but still be Olaf and be obvious enough that, that the kids could see, but subtle enough that adults couldn't, and then hopefully an audience didn't just think it was just terrible acting across the board. So, but that was fun. Barry Sonnenfeld is unbelievable. Yeah. He's, that show, I, I, I read uh, people say that it sort of looks like a Wes Anderson film, mm -hmm. and I think it's, it's, Wes Anderson owes a lot to Barry Sonnenfeld's imagery. He's just really good with, with cameras and lenses. I mean, he was the DP for the Coen brothers, uh, did Blood Simple. Um, but it was, it was fun to be able to do that kind of content, content for families, a Netflix um, expensive show, uh, and have it be so artistic, yeah. not have it just... I don't know, I feel like a lot of times uh, content for uh, teenagers or middle grade kids is just not treated very respectfully. Yeah. And I get it, because a lot of the movies suck. <laughs> but, like, you know, Alvin and the Chipmunks was good, and then there's like five of them. <laughs> I've done a couple Smurfs. <laughs> now, when you say you've done a couple Smurfs? I had sex with them. Uh, okay. <laughs> Great, 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 great. Uh, <laughs> you, in describing your appreciation of the, the actual... <laughs> There's just so many jokes. Yeah, we can take some more time. Uh, we no, can take no, some more time. No, <laughs> uh, <laughs> in, it, Just in the way you're describing the, the sort of ambiance and how I went to Blue Balls. <laughs> I went first to Blue Balls. And then, like, oh, Papa. I went to, like, an oh, Papa place. I was trying to swing it back to Smurfette. Then it all felt, like, kind of rapey. And I like, didn't want to go there. I can't imagine why. <laughs> okay, we're back. Okay, cool. No, no, I mean, listen, we can talk about this verse for the rest of the time together if you guys want to talk about this verse more. Got some... <laughs> Please, no. Oh, hi. You're here. Some Smurfers. Is there? A, we we got to come up with a Sorry name for that. people who really love the Smurfs. Apologies. Go. Yeah. Okay, we're going to take a break. I will be back after a word from our wonderful buddies at Maximum Fun. I'm Joe Firestone. And I'm Manolo Moreno. And we're the hosts of Dr. Game Show, which is a podcast where we play games submitted by listeners regardless of quality or content with in-studio guests and callers from all over the world. And you can win a custom a magnet. A custom magnet. Subscribe now to make sure you get our next episode. What's an example of a game, Manolo? Pokemon or medication. How do you play that? You have to guess if something's a Pokemon name or a Medi medication. medication. First time listener, if you want to listen to episode highlights and also know how to 
participate, follow Dr. Game Show on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We'd love to hear yeah, from you. it's really fun. For the whole family. We'll be every other Wednesday starting March 13th, and we're coming to Max Fun. Snorlax. Pokemon? Yes. Nice. Of, of a series of unfortunate events and, and Barry Sonnenfeld, you, that's something that you pay attention to and you've paid attention to for a long time. Was there, when was the first time you really sort of started saying, was it early as Doogie, can I just take a look behind the, can I see what you're, you know, because... I just love the process, yeah. Janet. <laughs> I really do, I love the process. I love, the, the first thing I ever did in earnest was a movie called Clara's Heart with opposite Whoopi Goldberg, and I filmed it in Baltimore, Maryland, and it was just so cool to see it all, to see what the camera looks like, and the dolly track, and the tape marks that you're supposed to hit without looking down, and these big lights, and I don't know, I just found that all so fascinating that it takes this village of, of skilled professionals to put something together to make it happen. And then, when I would go see Broadway shows in New York, I was so, in, I liked the show, but I was, equally excited by where the sets go and how the turntable works and like the, the process of it all. The process of rehearsing a play is so fun because it's just the actors in a room and the director and the choreographer person, that's it. And you try it all a bunch of different, I know the, the process of it all is very intriguing to me. So when you have a director who's, who's adept at what he or she is doing and then you have a crew that thrives on that, David Fincher is a really great director and it makes a, such a difference. The crew is, is so interested in his responses and, and you're working on making something exciting. I don't know. I, I get off on, on everyone feeling honored, you know, yeah. within a process. I think uh, sometimes the actors asked to be very myopic and only think about their character and they're often just held in the dressing room or... Like a, the pen. A wagon or something until pen, yeah. it's time. And then at night they knock on your door and they come and they walk you and you do this scene, they take you back. And it's a little isolating. I don't know, I'm just, I like, I guess that speaks to a lot of the things that I have done and continue to do. Hedvig was fun because it, she never left the stage and it was always kind of different. She got to mess around with people in the audience. So there was a, 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 a unique factor to that. We all had to be working hard. The Tony stuff was fun because it's, it's a night that you get to honor and all these people that work so hard eight times a week. You think about those ensemble dancers in those Broadway shows, they don't get paid a lot of money. Yeah. I mean, they make a living, but uh, it's, it, it's relatively paycheck to paycheck. And they're the ones that have six different characters, quick changes, they have to warm up before, physical therapy afterward, they're kicking like crazy, they're just really impressive. Yeah. And, not, not well known. So once a year, you get to go and watch TV, and a lot of people only get to see the Broadway shows when they see the Tonys. Yeah. And it's a great P.T. Barnum moment to say, hi everyone, thanks, instead of a thousand people here, there's now a million people, watch these people, they're amazing. And then watch these people, they're amazing. I think that's, in, in many ways, more of an exciting award show experience at home than the Oscars or the Emmys, where you don't have a lot of things to watch. Yeah. Lists of people being thanked is appropriate. That's the design of the award show. Right. But I think the Tonys allowed us to get a really great opportunity to 
be proud of your friends. That makes a ton of sense. There was, I had so many thoughts when you were speaking. One of the thoughts was, again, kind of returning to the idea of you being both enthralled by something and, and loving not knowing the mystery behind how it all happens, uh, and then perhaps immediately followed by or concurrently going, I gotta know how that works, how does that work? Uh, so that's magic, right, as well. That's, did that's, you feel that way from the start? The first trick you saw was with magic? just like, I need to be behind the scenes on this, whatever that is. Yeah, kind of. I just think magic's a super cool hobby. I, there was a magic like a chicken shop. Chicken boy magnet hobby. Totally kidding. <laughs> You've made those jokes before. Chicken boy magnet? Yeah, like, hey, ladies, I like magic tricks. Hey, I'm 12. You want to yeah. play with my wand? That's right. That's right. No, I, there was a, I grew up in small town New Mexico, and we would drive up to Albuquerque. Pause for yeah. Albuquerque in New Mexico. I think that was for small town New Mexico. Yeah. It was called Ruidoso. Ruidoso. It's the name of the town I grew up in. I'm from Tucson, of course, Arizona. From Tucson. Arizona. Mm-hmm. Arizona. Yeah. I always wonder. I always feel that Tucson and Albuquerque are cousins. Like they're sort of, they have the sort of same, people are either like, oh, I love, you know, southern New Mexico, or I love Tucson, I love Arizona, or they're like, hmm. So. <laughs> I'm very much in the former camp. Yeah, but I, But in, Ruidoso was tiny. There was not much of anything. Um, You'd have to drive to Alamogordo to go to a mall. And so uh, in Albuquerque was a magic shop called oh, Fool's Paradise. Fool's Paradise, yeah. It was rad. And then what a great thing for a kid to do, to save your I would save up my allowance, and I would go, and you'd see this glass case with all the shelves of different tricks, and you could ask him, uh, the magician behind the desk, to show you tricks, and he'd show you tricks all day long. But you just didn't know how they were done until you paid for them. Right. So it was just... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was very, you just, I needed to know how they were done. And in turn, then I would buy three small packet tricks. And then on the ride, the three hours ride home, I would be able to open up and see the effect and the method. Ah, the method. And see how it's done and then practice it to, to myself. So magic in just in execution is a fun thing. Um, but then when you start learning about the histories of magic and you start learning about uh, stage illusion versus car manipulation. It's very inspiring. I don't know, it's got a great depth of history to it. And just theatrically, I think it's really cool. Misdirection, um, black art, all of that stuff I think yeah. is really uh, in, in, is aligned with my interests. Well, that's another place where we, I think, really see you celebrating other people, other artists, you know, having a kind of camaraderie and community um, with people, not just, the, I feel like that's absolutely present with the Tonys. Hmm. It's present in the sort of, your appreciation of magic and your producing other people's, you know, sort of like ushering forth hmm. lesser known artists and saying, how can I help? How can I help share what, you, what I'm impressed by with everybody? Because hmm. when you are excited, uh, excited by something, uh, you absolutely are not the person who goes, that guy's better than me. I gotta just, don't want anybody to know about this. It's quite the opposite. It's, Here's, here's who I think is, is the best of their kind, or you know, certainly doing something unusual and unique. And I guess I so, as you, as you say that. that, though, I feel, I don't know, I feel like I've always, because I was from a small town in New Mexico, and, and kind of came, oh, there they are again, they're back. That like might pigeons. just be a tick. Like if you hear it, you've been, for, that person was formally hypnotized, so now every time they hear a small town in New Mexico, they're like, ah. They don't know they're doing it, it's okay. 
I think I've always felt a little bit like uh, I was the outsider needing to prove something, yeah. which is odd because I've done a lot of things. And I'm 45 years old, and I, and I still often feel like, um, like I'm having to fake it a little bit. And, and I mean that sincerely, uh, because when I was doing television, I would live, we lived in New Mexico. We weren't LA people that were, I wasn't a working kid actor. I was just, it kind of fell into my lap in a very exciting way, because when things fall into my lap, they're always exciting. <laughs> Papa Smurf. Special, especially at 15. Um, but then I've, I've, I've done things like magic, for instance. I know a lot about magic. I've been, I was the president of the Academy of Magical Arts for four years in LA, so I've worked hard in magic, but I'm not a magician. I don't have 20 minutes of, of stuff that I can do. I love magic, but I'm not, I don't really do it. Comedy, like I don't, I don't, I'm not a stand-up. I don't tell, you know, I, Improving, I'm just so fascinated by the brain of an improviser in creating content. And, but, but I feel like I'm not of their level because I didn't study at UCB. I didn't. I wasn't a groundling. Tony Awards. I've never taken a dance class in my life, so I'm I'm there learning. And I, I mean, I can I can do some choreography, right? It's not like I'm inept at it. It's just that I've never, I didn't, I'm not trained in it. So there I am in a rehearsal room with the best dancers in the country on all the shows, and they're all got it. <laughs> what? <laughs> and so that feeling of, of needing to prove something because I wasn't a dancer, and here I am having to dance. So that's a kind of a runner in, in my career, I think. Well, it maybe speaks to why I do these breathing fire things, you know? Well, the, I don't know. Listen, if that's true, then there are a lot of people benefiting from your humility and, and, <laughs> and perhaps your insecurity. Listen, I don't know. But it's like a therapy there, session. <laughs> what happened? It always goes down that way with me. Um, no, but, but to, you know, to feel, I think that's also very normal for somebody who has a lot of different passions and then sees the person who has dedicated their entire life to one thing the expectation wouldn't be that you, you know, that you would need to be that good. And again, you have admiration for those people, and you celebrate them, and you want to work with them. You want to be surrounded by the people who are the best at what they do. So I think that's probably like a, you know, a little bit of a balancing act that you might always walk, um, but in a good way, in a in a way that keeps you humble, which I think is one of the things that makes you so well loved is that it's clear that you're not sort of. Like, yeah, you want to look for the best? <laughs> Name a thing. I'm the best at it. Like that's not you, you know. Yeah, fair Until right now, <laughs> until you decided to take over as the best at it. Well, no, I feel I feel that at 45, I, I have done a lot of stuff. So now I can. Before I would feel fraudulent doing Shakespeare because I didn't study Shakespeare. I, I learned it with a dramaturg, and I played Romeo in uh, the old Globe Theater in San Diego. And it was great, but again, I just felt like I'm surrounded by Shakespearean-trained actors and I don't know how to do it. But now I've done enough things that I, I can be proud of the fact that I'm, my education was through immersion right. and that that's equally uh, sound. I feel like you might have even said that about joining the cast of How I Met Your Mother a little bit, which you had done television before, you had done funny television before. Yeah. Uh, but when that came around, 
Was there a sense of that, of like looking around going, okay, I gotta make sure I belong here and I gotta make sure I show up for this? A little bit. I, I felt more comfortable in television. I had done a few multi-camera things before, but not with longevity. The fun thing about that is that it was a hybrid show, so it was filmed with multiple cameras, but there wasn't a live studio audience there to see it because there were just so many flashbacky scenes. It would have been really boring for everybody. And, be, and then, and Barney Stinson was someone who was so crazy and uh, and delusional <laughs> that uh, that it was a joy. It was just a fun thing to go to work because they would write they would write cool bits, and then and it felt like a softball lob. You know, a yeah. glorious professional game of softball, and I was just ready to crack it and see how far I could swing. And and normally that would be trying to show off, but when you were tasked to do that as Barney, yeah. then it was it, it, it was an, an honor. You know, bigger, better, faster, louder. That's yeah. If that's Barney, then you get to really play. Yeah, and I'm glad that if that show ran nine years, right? And it's a long run. But I'm glad that Barney got to be a, a cool guy, wearing oh, yeah. suits and laser tag and coming up with name like catchphrases and because if you just wind up with like yeah an Urkel catchphrase that they give you every three episodes, you right. have to turn to the camera. Did I do that? <laughs> and that's sort of the thing that you only do. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> Although. I mean, I'm pretty good at both of those catchphrases. So. <laughs> no, they're good, they're fine, but then you just, it, yeah. that's an easy medium for the writers to get a bit lazy and just start yeah. having you do the same thing over and over. And thankfully, Barney was not that. He was all over the place, which was fun to play. I got to do an episode of How I Met Your Mother that would not have been possible did. if it weren't hybrid because in my episode, tiny Barneys were crawling all over my body at some point, and tiny Teds were crawling over my body at that's some other true. point. In your boobs and stuff, I think. I think that's very likely. We are talking about Barney. I like talking about uh, in your boobs. Yeah. There he is, everybody. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that was true. You had to do these weird things where you had like extreme close-up of you, yeah. and you had to just sit there and blink. <laughs> Now, Janet, what you have to imagine is a tiny man crawling up your boob. Okay. Uh, yeah. Danny DeVito? Uh, I mean... I like, no, tinier. I mean... Tinier. But, I'm like, really still... Tiny. Applicable. Um, uh, <laughs> did it, I will say that being on that set uh, was such a joy. It, they, really? That was, an, a, cool. that was an, a, such a warm... Yeah, I know. I'm sorry to disappoint you, but... Um, <laughs> I just felt very included, and that's not always true of television shows that have been going and going and going, and everybody kind of has their dynamic. Um, Pam Fryman was a big part of that, uh, just kind of bringing everybody in, and, and I, I did get that feeling from the cast that was sort of like, you're part of the family for this week, you know, which is, which is not always the case. It was a family. We were all together all the time for, like, we watch through deaths, through births, through marriages, breakups, all of that. So it was a nice family. And Pam Fryman is our, was the director of every episode except maybe seven or eight. So she directed 235 episodes or something. And she is the nicest, most, um, just the, the, one of the great women of television in life in general. Yeah. So we were all very lucky to have yeah. her. Because oftentimes TV directors are assholes. That's correct. And she might have been the for first, real. She might have been the first female 
single cam or like a you know a multi-cam or a sitcom director that I had worked with. Nice. It was, it's not necessarily uh, hugely populated with women. That probably doesn't surprise anyone. But I think Pam is one of the people who really helped make it more possible for for younger women to come in and. Um, not that she's old, she's not at all, but you know, for people to come in, uh, follow in her footsteps. And what are your thoughts, I have a question for you, what are your thoughts on comedy on television now, uh, on network TV? Because I feel like, I mean, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but I guess it's, it's room for a conversation because the, the game is changing in such an interesting way and we're here at Sketchfest and you're tuned into comedy. At, at, and a lot of the funnier stuff now is on streaming or is on Amazon or Hulu's or Netflix's so that you can curse and you don't have to keep breaking up in the middle to talk about diapers. <laughs> I mean, it's a very strange construct. The multi-camera show is interesting because historically it was designed to like have people make jokes and stuff and then they could try and sell cigarettes and then they would know that, that was always a part of the the fiber of it right. but now you don't really need that anymore and so now i don't know I, I don't know how long it's been since i watched a network multi-camera show because there's so many options yeah. has that do you think that it's a dying breed like the there's, there's not many left, right? CBS yeah. has a few. Yeah. But even those are Big Bang Theories on their last season, and yeah. and Mom is on season eight now or something. I don't know. I just wonder if, if people's viewing habits, hashtag Bandersnatch, are changing right. in a way that makes that style of comedy more archaic. Uh, I... I agree. I, uh, I, I, these people didn't come to hear me discuss um, what I think of, of TV, really. But, uh, but I will say that I think that audiences have become more and more savvy, and there is, uh, we've seen the fourth wall get broken. We've seen, you know, sketch combined with sort of a sitcom. We've seen so many versions of, of comedy that have kind of broken rules and yes. recrafted rules uh, that I don't. I don't know. Like, if someone said to me, you have to create a multi-camera sitcom, I would be so scared because I don't know how to do it right anymore. Um, that's not to say that it can't be done, but I do feel like, you know, there's just, you have to, boy, you got to really be doing something. I feel like in the immersive theatery world, like, I love all of that changing structure, like my, my, my book. Maybe there's a world where there's a multi-camera show that's on a Netflix, but that plays with structure. Right. It might have to take that. It might have to be something that, again, gets meta because audiences are very savvy and they like to kind of be inside of something. Yeah, one Day at a Time means. is on Netflix. Yeah. And they don't have to do commercials, so they're able to do 22 minutes straight through. Right. So maybe there's a cool way to do some, I don't know. I'm just thinking about future gigs, I guess. <laughs> but, I don't know. That may be an interesting nut to crack. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, I Speaking of nuts. I want... <laughs> Back to the Smurfs. Uh, no, I, I want to um, just, uh, one of the other things that kind of popped into my head when you were talking about your own experience, growing up in a small town in New Mexico, it works even when you, I say it, um, it was, again, this idea of, you know, as you said when you were casting Clara's Heart and that it was, you know, you were, you went to a, a theater camp, right, and, um, and, it was pretty much quickly after that that suddenly you were on this movie set away from your parents. 
having that experience. And that for me is, when, I lis- when I've listened to you, um, your audiobook version of The Magic Misfits, mm. uh, which was really fun because there was some really neat stuff in- baked in there that you don't get from the experience of reading it, but mm. also you get things from the experience of reading it, like magic tricks that are kind of True. built in and, and uh, in there for, for young people to learn how they work and how to become magicians themselves. But it, but it very much has that sense of this, this boy who's away from what he knew Hmm. Um, and and kind of in you know alone in this kind of wide-eyed way as he's experiencing these various adventures and these people that he meets and 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 seeing real magic whatever that you know happens to mean in the book um, do you, is that some and that's something I think you have held on to right is that sort of being put into a place and I think that's that a universal trope yeah I when I was asked to write this, these middle grade books I thought it was a fun opportunity to write about things that I thought were cool, like just to pass it on to younger kids. Our kids are eight, they're starting to read now uh, in earnest, which is kind of amazing to watch. And it's fun to be able to have an option for kids to read and learn about secret codes and learn about magic, but not wizarding world magic and, and dragons and things, but actual magic skills. And then, uh, and yeah, I tried to make it as diverse as possible so there's different, everyone can relate to it in some way. Yeah. But I think everyone feels like that's, that's a universal feeling of being uncomfortable in, uh, in a world that you're not, you, know, you don't know where you fit in. Yeah. So, especially kids. So, Absolutely. Yeah, that's where that came from mostly. Absolutely. Uh, I have so many things that I want to kind of address. I know there's just so very many cards. Uh, I don't have a, a, a super flawless segue into this, but um, I, I just wanted to quickly acknowledge how much I enjoyed uh, your performance in the film Starship Troopers. Nice. Uh, Starship Troopers, so that was a really great time for me because that was Paul Verhoeven, the director, um, re- uh, was willing to have television actors be in movies. So I had done... Yeah. Doogie for four years was not was auditioning for feature films, but back then it, there was a class divide. Uh, if you were a TV actor, you weren't in movies. You did your TV movies. Your thir- I, did, I your had my TV, TV movies. movies. I tried to combine the two and just did a TV movie. Here, <laughs> I was going to do a thing where I those. tried to quiz you on like what actual like, TV yeah, movie titles. What was, yeah, and then I thought, you know what? He doesn't want me to do that. Made for real life movies paid my bills for yeah. quite a while. Yeah. But then you got the opportunity to do Starship Troopers, which... Yeah, then Paul Verhoeven hired me because uh, he really wanted an Aryan-looking cast. (laughs) And he had not seen American TV, so he didn't know the the Doogie Howserness of it all. He just thought that I was a blonde, white guy who could do it. So all of a sudden, I got to be in this big, giant movie that didn't do very well in the box office, which is a disappointment, but... Yeah. It's found its... Audience and it's it holds up remarkably it's well great. Uh, on the DVD. Oh, absolutely! It's very. I mean, the, truly, he, I think he's he he just nails. Oftentimes, yeah. you see giant, you know, computer-generated bugs and things, and it just looks awful three years yeah. later. For some reason, what Phil Tippett did with the with that was just yeah. great. Now, I actually don't have a clip of Starship Troopers, so okay. I was just gonna see if you could just read. <laughs> okay. 
I was just going to see if you could just read. It's just the first, I think it's just the first page. Yeah, you don't have to worry about the second page. That's a different scene. But just uh, the first page, which is when we, we, we re-meet your character, Carl, who has suddenly kind of become, become this voice of, of power uh, within the Starship Troopers. And this is a, a like a propaganda. And are you film. gonna? It starts with an official yeah. voice. Are yeah. you gonna do that one? I'll, I will. Okay. Uh, uh, so the briefing wait, plays. Wait, wait, real yeah. quick. Mm. Oh, are we gonna read the whole thing? Well, it's just, it's just this. This will be you. Okay. And and so, yeah. what voice do I do it? Uh, I mean, probably whatever you think Carl okay. would sound like. Got it. <laughs> I'm ready. And if you're really lucky, you will get cast in this role. Uh, okay. So this is a propaganda video. Got it. Every day, federal scientists are looking for new ways to kill bugs, and you can help. To defeat the enemy, we must know the enemy. Take, for instance, your basic arachnid warrior. Minimal IQ, armored, completely lethal. You can blow a limb off, and it's still 86% combat effective. But here's a tip. Aim for the nerve stem and put him down for good. Is that what you wanted? That's what I wanted. That's what I wanted. Oh my. That, he is, I really love that he's always surprised and delighted guy. Yeah. He's surprising himself with information. So Paul, I do, I do six or seven takes like that, and then he'd say, just do one straight and normal. And that's the one he ended up using. <laughs> See, you wouldn't ever have known that had we not uh, dug right into it here. Um, I want to uh, jump to another um, very, very original, very unique <laughs> jump up and down. You want to do some... You said you wanted to jump to. <sighs> That's on me. You're right. You're doing improv later tonight. So I want to go ahead and jump, jump, jump. to something that, you know, I've kind of been running around a little bit in my mind. Uh, you know, because I don't want to just have this whole conversation just sort of lie down on the stage and, you know, die. Uh, um, So while you uh, recover and think about what you've done, I would love to take this opportunity. You did a, there was a writer's strike. Uh, there was a writer's strike. Quite some strike. time ago. Indeed. And there was a question of, you know, when is this gonna be resolved? All the television shows that many of us loved were on hold uh, in support of writers who deserved uh, more and better. And, um, and while that was happening, there was a, a, you know, understandable dearth of uh, stuff coming out, and you, and, and many, I think, of, of the people who were experiencing that, uh, who were on the acting side, or on the writing side, or on the directing side, mm. had this urge to still be creative, and yet wanted to be supportive of the writers. So, uh, what, uh, what happened? You got a call, I That think. was the longest intro to Dr. Horrible. Oh, I'm not talking about Dr. Horrible. <laughs> 
<laughs> You're talking about the Colgate commercial I did. Yeah, I wanted to, I wanted to go ahead and run that. Yeah. Yes, I got a call from Joss Whedon who said there's a writer's strike and no one's working, so let's make our own content. We'll put it on the interweb and uh, we'll, we'll make our own rules. Let's, uh, let's take a little look at that. Nice. a moral dilemma because at first it was weird though I swore to eliminate the worst of the plague that devoured humanity it's true I was vague on the house so how can it be that you have shown me the light it's a brand new day and the sun is high all the birds are singing that you're gonna die how I hesitated now I wonder why it's a brand new day all the times that you beat me unconscious, I forgive. All the crimes incomplete, listen, honestly, I'll live. Mr. Putin, Mr. Right, Mr. Know-it-all is through. Now the future's so bright, and I owe it all to you. Show me the light. It's a brand new me. I got no remorse. Now the water's rising, but I know the course. I'm gonna shock the world. Gonna show that horse. It's a brand new day. <laughs> nice. That was just great. Joss is Joss Whedon's such a special guy. You guys all know. I mean, he's he what he touch. He has a great appreciation for the fans and uh, uh, a wit and a and a kinetic sense to his dialogue and his and the, the people that he works with. And I I've all, had always wanted to be on a show of his. So he called and said, "I want to do this thing, and I want you to be Doctor Horrible." In fact, I think he said. I was on the way to New York, and he called, and he said, hey, Neil, um, I know the writer strike's going on, but there's this thing, and I said, yes. <laughs> and he said, let me finish. There's a thing called Dr. Horrible's sing-along blog, and I said, I'll do it. He said, well, hold on. <laughs> uh, and then I got to do it. It was just great. It was filmed at the Universal Studios back lot, because nothing was filming, and we, it was guerrilla filmmaking for sure. There were certain things we just only had the time to shoot one single take of things. Uh, and I feel like the purity of it is you can still see it. And I don't know what the X factor is with that, whether it was just fortuitous all around, but the songs are still super great. And uh, Nathan is just so hilarious in it and Felicia is unbelievable. Like the whole thing was just really great start to finish. And they keep threatening to make a movie, which would be so rad. Yeah. But what at do we this do point, I feel like they'll yeah. just hire Lucas Hedges well, to be in it. We wouldn't stand for that, would we? We, like, need, we need the, the OG cast for sure. Yeah, the uh, OLD cast. The OLD cast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, did you know... You, you wanted to work with Joss. Did, had you met him? Did he, had he heard that you wanted to uh, work with him? I had done some Shakespeare. He, he, for a while, in, when he lived in Santa Monica, he would, uh, every couple months, invite friends over and just read a Shakespeare play and give people parts, and you'd rehearse them and you'd do it book in hand just to hear what it sounded like. It was really fun. And so I got to be in that world for, for a, two or three shows of that. 
Um, it was just a way to hang out and feel artistic sure. uh, in a town that's, that's more about auditioning. Right. And, uh, and then from that, and no, you know what? I think I was offered a part in one of his shows, uh, Nathan's show. Okay. Firefly. I've heard of it. Oh, yeah, yeah you said that you were going to be uh, the, do the doctor, the right? You came close. Guy, yeah. yeah. And then, yeah, how about that? That blew someone's mind. <laughs> I think. But I, I don't know what that was. It yeah. didn't wind up happening, which is, I think I was also like, didn't, wasn't super keen about being another like doctor guy on a show. Fair, fair. So uh, I ended up with being an, another doctor for Joss tonight. <laughs> <laughs> they follow me everywhere. Uh, yeah, well, Firefly is another. I think Firefly's that great. when you talk about. Um, that sort of like, like that, just that magic that in a bottle, right? That that Doctor Horrible has. That Doctor Horrible was the first content. Yeah. Uh, that, like, it really did change streaming online. Media. Yeah, they released it for free, uh, part in uh, one part a week, and it was so exciting because you'd sit there on your laptop and and we would watch, you know, you'd you'd, you'd see it happen and you could see all the comments about it and see if people liked it or not. And then another week, part two would come out and people were speculating about what was gonna happen. It was super fun. And then they just moved it and sold it on iTunes. But I think it was legit one of the first well-received mainstream uh, ideas of creating content online. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, listen, I know that you've done, there, you, uh, you've sort of said in the past that um, some of your musical theater background tended more towards the kind of traditional um, music, maybe a little less rock and roll. Uh, you mentioned, of course, you had a, a run on Rent, and then I saw your production of Rent that you directed at the Hollywood Bowl. I directed uh, Rent at the Hollywood Bowl, and Rent Live is on tonight on Fox. And Rent Live is on tonight. I kind of want to just hate watch it. <laughs> You're allowed. I mean, I'm hoping it's good, yeah. but I, I don't know. Like, those live, all stay here those live and together and... Those live musicals are so fun to like to, to, yeah. to want things to go terribly wrong. Yeah. Like, oh, Allison Williams, I hope that the wire breaks. I saw you. I saw you right after one. I was in New York, and I don't remember which one had aired, but we really did sit there and just dissect every moment. Like, do you think they knew that blah 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 was going to blah blah blah? But I mean, yeah. it's live, so that's the whole yeah. purpose of watching it is kind of hoping that things, <laughs> how they would react if something right. went wrong. Right. Uh, but but. You know, you, you've, I think you've been very kind of humble about the process of signing on to do something like Hedwig because you felt maybe that, you know, were you ready to take on that mm. style of music and that kind of transfer? For Hedwig? Yeah, the transformation that had to happen for you physically and, and just technically, right, to make that work. Hedwig was insane because uh, it came my way. David Binder asked if I be interested in doing it on Broadway, and it just brought up a lot of, of concerns, like in, intrinsic concerns within me. One being music, my music background was the Smothers Brothers and like the Kingston Trio into Billy Joel and Beach Boys in the middle of that. And then, Hot. Yeah, and then B-52s. Like it was not punk rock, really, I guess a little bit in the B-52s-ish. Um, but my, I, that wasn't my world, punk, punk music. And then femininity was an interesting challenge for me as well, because I had been playing Barney Stinson for that whole time, 
And, and to be that feminine, it's just, it was challenging. It just challenged my own innate, intrinsic kind of personal homophobia of like, of, of what I thought was too gay or not gay enough, which was all very weird in my own head. And so the idea of doing something like that and drag wearing women's clothes was not something I had ever done. Like that wasn't a, a, a fetish thing that I liked to, to do or I'd never walked in heels before. And so all of that seemed terrifying which, which was why I just had to do it. Yeah. Good for <laughs> I just you. had to do it. Is there, was there, too, I think, did, this, is, this is often true when you're doing uh, beloved shows that get, you know, restaged uh, over and over, but because also it's not that you're, origi- you're not originating a character in drag for the, first, you know, for the first time so that whatever you're bringing to it is not gonna be compared to anything else. Um, but coming to it and, and having something that is so beloved and had been made into a film and yeah. you know, the sort of sense of the John Cameron Mitchell of it all, uh, were you nervous about that or did you see that as an opportunity to go, well, I'm well, going to be my version of you know, this John's character. a producer, was a producer in, in the revival as well. So yeah. he, he it, not only did it have his blessing, but he was part of the creative process. So that helped a lot. Um, and I think the fact that Hedwig, by design, she's very uh, fractured and, and, and uh, a bit of a failure and, and not so good at what she does. So that made it helpful. Those were great safety nets with which to play because if I was having an off day vocally or something, it was almost better. If I tried to perform it too well, then she would have been a more successful person, but Hedwig's lament is that she didn't get famous enough. Yeah. So in many ways, the things that, that, that freaked me out the most about it were probably the things that were more exciting to watch about yeah. it, right? Because, well, let's, I, I, I guess I, I, could, I could talk on both sides of that. But I had to get overly comfortable with walking and with uh, mannerisms. Because I didn't want, I didn't want the gay community and I really didn't want the drag community to uh, throw shade at me Fair. Just because my name was recognizable enough to, to do a version of it on Broadway, but I hadn't really paid my dues in drag, so I felt, again, fraudulent in a way, because it might be disrespectful. And I, you, might, it might, you might see my poker tells a lot, you know? So I, had to, I just challenged myself. And there's a fantastic drag queen named Willem, Willem Belly, and Willem, who was kicked off RuPaul's Drag Race. Uh, and he's amazing, and he taught me how to walk, and we brought, you know, I was just with Spencer Liff, the choreographer of that, and he and I, and Willem, just, just standing, you know? It's just such a different, cocking a hip and stuff yeah. is just so different when you're in heels, for sure, yeah. but just a guy, like a way I at least carried my body, I just wasn't used to that. So even just learning how to, like, it felt yeah. so, Dumb Not for dumb. so long. Yeah. And then, but then, even when the show happened, like this is Hedwig who has been doing. She's older. She's she's been through all of this already, like right. for decades. So that was the hard part. That I, uh, the challenging part was trying to figure out how to quickly get over my own neuroses and get well and have that be well behind me. Yeah. 
I will just quickly say my personal experience of seeing it on Broadway was with, I think, maybe the first 10 minutes, I was just taut on the edge of my seat, so I w like, worried for you, not in any way, because I was like, oh, is he gonna be any good or his performance? I just immediately clocked how hard it is, like, the, just the physicality of it, and the fact that you're on stage the entire time, and I knew that going in because I was a fan of the show itself, and uh, and I was, I just couldn't get out of my head for a couple minutes because I was like, oh my God, he's just, he's so thin, he looks so beautiful, but he's so thin and he's working so hard out there, and he's gonna be doing this for the whole show. And then I completely forgot it was you. Oh, cool. Utterly forgot, just disappeared I love in the that. same way that you disappear into that role and had to sort of remind myself at the end of the show, like, oh, that's my friend Neil. It was It was crazy. Stunning. I lost 30 pounds, I think. I was 100 and, like, I was 127, 131 pounds or something by the end of it. And I, and because I didn't have any body fat, I kept trying to get sick, so I would wind up with yeast in, right. infection on your vocal cords and oh, things, boy. because the, the, when you would drink a beer or wine or eat bread, it had nowhere to go. Yeah. It's very strange. That's crazy, right? You don't think about that, that yeast would be like... And I didn't, have an, under, I didn't have an understudy, yeah. so I, I had to do didn't. all the shows. Ay, ay, ay. And, uh, but one of the things that I wanted to do was feel like I was a punk rock star. So the masochistic element of it was was part of it. Yeah, you know, that makes sense. Was being grueling, but I was watching all these videos of of uh, the Sex Pistols and them being super, you know, super messed up, and I and I thought that was that energy to me was exciting. The idea that I could somehow replicate that energy uh, at the Belasco Theater on Broadway to people who are upper east side biddies <laughs> that are sitting there, you know. Yeah, because performing yeah. punk in a punk, in, in like a, 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 you go to a bar, yeah. then you, you're, you're surrounded by people who want to hear that music. But I thought there was a challenge and, and something kind of horny about the idea of Absolutely. being Marilyn Manson or, um, what's his name, Nine Inch Nails? Trent Reznor? Yeah, Trent Reznor. So I watched Trent Reznor video where he went to, and maybe it was Marilyn Manson, but he went to the foot of the stage and he had his shirt off and he just opened up his mouth and people were just spitting in his mouth. You guys don't have to do that right now. I thought that was so hot. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, no, I mean, yeah. seriously, I thought yeah. it was gross. I mean, it was understandably gross. And I wasn't about to do that every night, but, but that was kind of the vibe that I wanted. Yeah. Is this was this reckless? When I would cut myself and my leg would be bleeding, I was I loved it. It was yeah. so awesome. So yeah, it was it was a lot of like intensity. With I think the, thank God that you did have that relationship to it because that's probably what also made it possible to keep going is to have you know that relationship to it where you're just embracing all of that. I want to do it again. I almost did it this 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 summer in London. We're trying to get it to go well, to listen, London. If I know one thing about my beloved San Francisco, it's that we know how to appreciate a good musical. A good musical and a good drag. So, note to <laughs> selves, everyone. I, I want to go to um, an audience Q&A really soon, but do you, are, are you guys, would you like to see a little bit of Hedrick just to kind of celebrate that? 
But why don't we, why don't we take a look? Yes. I've got a sweet tooth for licorice drops and jelly rolls. Hey, sugar daddy, Hansel needs some sugar in his bowl. It was like the truncated version where I see you, uh, the same thing happened. I was like, oh God, he's so, he's so thin. And then I forgot it was you again. <laughs> and that we're sitting here on stage and I called for that clip to play. And I still was like, that was fun. Great. You should watch the whole thing though, because I, I got to go into the audience and I got to uh, do the car wash on um, Orlando Bloom's head. <laughs> <laughs> and then I went through and I, I oh. sat in Sting's lap. I gave Sting a lap dance. I grinded up against his hong. And, uh, then I licked uh, someone's glasses. Who's, what's uh -huh. that? Samuel L. Jackson, yeah. I licked his glasses and put him back on his what head. A satisfying person anarchy. to be able to do that to. Oh. His expression is like. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> and you were like, you're lucky I didn't spit in your mouth. Because <laughs> I'm real into Trevor Reznor right uh, now. That was so fun. Um, Maybe someday I'll get to do her figure again. Uh, well, we, I love we the drag. We would David and I produced um, a drag festival called Wigstock that was uh, in New York. Lady Bunny, the great Lady Bunny, she, um, she's a drag staple in NYC, and she did this, uh, this drag festival in Tompkins Square Park for years and years, and it was super great, and then she stopped doing it for about 11 years. And David Bertka, the, the great David Bertka, said mm -hmm. when we were watching uh, drag together on TV, he said, why don't they do wig stock anymore? And I said, that's a very good question, why? And, and he said, we should revive it. And so we realized, I mean, I, I was so proud of it. We did it on the top of the South Street Seaport Piers, uh, this brand new um, Pier 16 or something. And it was spectacular. You had views of the bridges and it was outdoor and it was eight hours of, of drag from the oldest drag uh, queen in America, in the world was there, to the youngest, to the, um, a lot of trans people. Just, and, and what was exciting for me, this is interesting, because it's, it's very akin to the Tonys and P.T. Barnuming, is that I wanted people to see drag performers do what they do, what makes them proudest. Because RuPaul's Drag Race is a, is a very uh, important show in that community, in the community, I think, because um, 
it's very popular and people now have, see all these uh, examples of representation uh, and I think that's great. Unfortunately, the performances that they do, they're, they're uh, lip syncing for their lives because they're about to be eliminated and it's a song that they just learned yesterday, right? Um, and I think that, that while they're still great performances, unless you seek out a drag performance or a cabaret, you're not getting to see them do what they do, why they got hired in the first place. So I wanted to do this festival so, so we, and uh, HBO is making a documentary of it. Or they made it, they documented the whole thing, so um, we're, we're in the, the process of editing that. But I just wanna, I, because of having done Hedwig and dipped my foot into a, a bit, I just have incredible respect for for people who dedicate their lives to doing that. There's a lot of hardship, there's a lot of rawness, um, and I think to still, like night in, night out, be putting on your makeup in the kitchen at a side little table with, like, with not, great, not getting paid well right. to super drunk people all the time um, is odd. And, and demands respect, and they're super great. I mean, it's a magic trick. Absolutely, absolutely. But it's a life, I love it. Oh, oh, it's time for a quick break. I will be back after a word from our friends at Maximum Fun. Greatest Discovery is a podcast about Star Trek Discovery and so much more, Ben. We watched the entire first season of Star Trek Discovery, but now we're finding all kinds of interesting ancillary topics to get into. We're interviewing our favorite people. Reading comic books. And we're updating you on the news about season two of Star Trek Discovery. It's news you can use and it's every two weeks on MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh my, there's so many question people. <laughs> Better be good. We're going to judge you. <laughs> um, it's a thrill to be here and meet you and Thanks, say hello. But um, could you talk a little bit about Gone Girl? Because that was really crazy and scary and amazing. Yeah, Gone Girl was, uh, was another one of those pinch me opportunities that David, David Fincher, uh, having been on How I Met Your Mother and Barney Stinson, I think it has, it has its own, uh, creates its own baggage of people recognizing me as a certain energy, and that doesn't really fit into a lot of the big motion picture director's ideas. And so Fincher just reached out and said he's doing this movie called Gone Girl and would I have lunch with him? Which was a very nerve-wracking lunch. Because um, I wasn't auditioning, but I wasn't sure what he wanted, whether he wanted me to just be myself or whether he wanted me to talk about acting or, or talk shop, I had no idea. And we just talked about crossword puzzles and games and stuff like that. And I think he was actually just meeting me to see if I was a, a dick, like if I, would, if I would slow his process down. Because I think he's less interested in spending time with actors and, and having them breaking down and being insecure. He was, he, I think he likes technicians, but he does 40, 50 takes I had to do this scene with Rosamund Pike where 
uh, where we have sex and then it ends badly for me. Um, and we had to over-rehearse all of that and film it all in this sound stage. And so that was a doing 50 takes of uh, the scene being a sex scene. And every move has to be spontaneous, but very, very, very well rehearsed. It was very, uh, it was very crazy. He's a great guy, though. We, we were afraid from showing that clip, even though we kind of wanted to. Totally. It's going to be an easy one. Do you okay. really have the tattoo from Kamalov on your ankle? I do, man. You want to see it? And can I have a hug? Yeah. I mean, got to throw that one in there. There it is. You're welcome. I'll hug you in a sec. Hi. Hi. Uh, given how much we love seeing you do musicals, I'm wondering which of your uh, previous projects that you've done would you uh, most enjoy performing your role in a musicalized version? Gone Girl! <laughs> but it would be spelled G-O-N-E-G-U-R-L. <laughs> Gone Girl. Uh, hi, Neil. Hi. My name is Noelle, and I'm an aspiring actress and screenwriter. I recently finished my first screenplay. Uh, what advice do you have for me? And if you could do the vocals for any Disneyland ride other than California Streaming, what would you do? <laughs> um, I'll answer the second question first. Uh, I've always wanted to be the voice of an animatronic character. Cool. I've done voiceover stuff uh, before, but I think it would be fun to just be... A, a character, you know, like... Great moments with Mr. Lincoln. <laughs> with Neil Patrick Harris as Mr. No, Lincoln. just like the paperboy kid. Extra, extra, read all about it. Hey, mister, wanna pay? And you have to do, like, 15 minutes of it in case the ride stops. <laughs> I don't know. I'd like to be the voice of a robot. Cool. Advice? How old are you, Noelle? I'm 17, almost 18. Nice. Yeah, you already finished your first screenplay. You're way ahead of the game. That's awesome. Thank you. I, I guess my, advi my advice, having, having, having done as many weird, disparate things as I've done, would be to recognize that, f that failure is, uh, way, happens way more with great frequency and to, to not personalize it. I'm not sure about in the screenwriting world, but it's just really hard as an actor um, to keep not getting the job. But the odds are stacked against you, right? Because when you're casting, you want the casting director to get a bunch of people to audition for it, and only one person gets it. So almost everyone uniformly is not getting jobs all the time, and that's a really hard headspace to be in. It's what I think makes LA a difficult town to live in. But if you can find what you think is individual and right about yourself as an actor, and then just keep doing that, and trust that when you don't get the gigs, it doesn't have anything to do with you. I mean, be prepared, <laughs> you know, to do a good audition. Uh, but when you don't get it, don't go, oh, what's wrong with me? What am I doing wrong? What am I doing wise? Why? Why? Because oftentimes, it's that the person before you uh, looked like you, or the person you're playing opposite that just got cast uh, is a different type, or their casting director's hungry, or there's just so many weird things that have nothing to do with the job. 
So if you're going to commit to acting, do it because you have to do it, because you love doing it, but figure out what your wheelhouse is and then stay strong within that. Okay, thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Hello. Hello. Um, Hedwig blew my mind, just had to say that. Warm. Um And I was curious how Hedwig, the... Hedwig blew my husband. <laughs> Lin-Manuel Miranda um, opening and clo- how did that all come about? Because that, that was amazing. That number, the It's Bigger? Yeah. Uh, I was asked to host the Tonys that year, but the, uh, the, the couple years prior, it had been at the Beacon Theater in the Upper West Side, which was a movie house. Smaller space, because they had Cirque du Soleil show uh, during the summers at Radio City. And the Beacon was fun. That's where we did... Uh, not just for gays anymore, I think. And that, it's a cool space, but it's very small and intimate. And there's something fun about watching Tony's there because it doesn't feel, uh, it feels like you're a, a part of it. But we went back to Radio City. And so I said, well, there's your opening number. Has to be how big everything is. And I imagined it being a South Parky kind of a uh, beer sh- shanty kind of song, you know, it's bigger, it's bigger, the thing is really bigger, really and then I would have, I say, and Lynn would just do fast patter, I can do fast patter teleprompter stuff pretty well, and so I thought it would be, because it's bigger, it's bigger, it's really, really bigger, that was kind of like my idea for it, and so Lynn said he'd, d- Lynn said he'd do it, and before that he had done the closing number, uh, uh, the closing recaps, I, I would sort of end the show, those numbers, end the whole telecast with a wrap-up of things that had actually happened magic trick style, so that you thought, how, the f- how did he even know that that was going to happen? And Lynn and um, Tommy Kale were backstage watching the show and coming up with lyrics on the spot, and then I would go back for the 30 minutes before that happened, and learn my syncopation, get my Hamilton going. And, uh, and I did that, so that was awesome. And then he agreed to do the opening number. And we just incorporated all the shows. It was insane. So many things could have gone really, really wrong. Because all of those casts were on, sort of only knew their little parts, and they all had to rehearse independently. There was one day where I was brought into a big rehearsal space, because it was the actual cast of all the shows that were on Broadway, so you couldn't have everyone come multiple times. And I was in a big giant rehearsal space, and I was bleary already. And they, they, and they said, okay, this is the cast of Pippin, and that's the cast of Step Up. And it's like, oh, hi, there's 80 of you old people. Okay, so here's what's gonna happen. You're gonna stand here, and you're gonna do this and this and this, and then you're gonna jump to the hoop, and then you're gonna do that, and you're gonna stand here, and the things, the guy's gonna fly over you, okay? Really? Okay, how do you jump through a hoop? And I said, well, hold the hoop off. And then you just jump through it. I said, seriously, there's no, there's no trick to that? And they said, no, just jump through the hoop. And sure enough, that's what you do. You're like, jump through it. And so, boom, and I jumped through the hoop. And then I had maybe seven minutes with them. And then they were just like, okay, great, we're moving on. This is the cast to step up, so you're going to go from there, you're going to finish that, you're going to run over here, then they're going to pick you up, and you're like a cheerleader thing, and you're going to stand, really, right now? Okay. okay. And, then and then we, we did, did it, it, and I learned how to do this sort of cheerleader thing. Tight core, <laughs> tight butt, and hold you up. And then, then they dropped drop me down, down. And, then, and then great. And then, and then I would never see them again. 
We're like, okay, thanks. And then in comes another cast, another cast. And I was just kind of bleary from the whole thing. And the odds of something like that having things go wrong was really high. The magic trick that happens, the thing never worked. Like the dress rehearsal, it, it failed till the end. And my first wardrobe change from once, I, was, uh, I started off doing uh, once, which had been, which was a winning musical from the year previous. And so I stood up there and I had that Henley shirt and the vest, and I just guitared for a bit. And then uh, this song changed and I run off stage, and I'm supposed to run off stage, and, and uh, the wardrobe person's right there, and I was take off my vest, pop on a Velcro shirt, quick change, suit jacket, run back on. We rehearsed it. I didn't know that this had happened. The wardrobe never came down. So night of the show, Spencer, Lith, choreographer, is standing there backstage, and there's, there's the cast of all these shows just lined up against the wall. There were two people on either side, and they were like, you guys hold, you guys go, 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 freeze, you, go, go, go. All this is happening backstage, so I'm doing my thing, real calm, I'm playing the guitar, and then I turn around, and the, the word is not there, so Spencer's, Spencer's like yelling, where's the fucking clothes? And they, chain of telephone, people in the cast are yelling all the way up. So Spencer's thinking, I don't know what to do, this is live, he's like about to run on, so he just takes off his own jacket. And he was very ready to just put me in his jacket and just say, he was just gonna very calmly say, your wardrobe's not here, you're wearing this jacket, it's gonna be what it's gonna be. And just send me on my way. So I didn't, I don't know, I'm just playing the thing. Went well in the dress rehearsal. And then I run and literally as the, the wardrobe gets into his hand as I turn around and he then acts really calm, just puts the thing on, zip, 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 and I go, I never knew it happened. He collapsed and probably had a heart attack. <laughs> but so many of those things for that number almost, almost sunk the whole thing. But it was fun, I mean, I, I think again, when you watch it, it's, you could see the energy in the room. We didn't expect it to be so well received. And uh, it just was very well received. And there's actually a video of Glenn Weiss, who's the director, um, there's a video of him in the booth calling the shots at the end of the number because they applauded and stood up for like two minutes straight, which was an insane amount of time. And it was, I was so pleased for everyone because there were people in the aisles and there were newsies and there were Lion King puppets and there were Spider-Man and there were all these crazy people. Mike Tyson, this is very odd. And you, and, and you can just, when you watch it, you see all these cuts. But when you see Glenn, and he's laughing, and he's so like, go three, go four, back three, go five, 17, three. It's a really fun thing to watch. That makes me happy. Thanks. Hi, Neil. Hi, um, I had the pleasure of watching you on Broadway and I actually have a playbill that Lena signed. And I was wondering oh, cool. if you could sign it too. Um, sure. For me. Thank you. You're welcome. It was a great question. <laughs> Don't mind us. Hi. Hi. Uh, 
Um, speaking of Broadway, we would have never seen SpongeBob without your plug and recommendation, so thank you. Nice. Um, we have an 11-year-old, so I'm curious about your best recommendation right now for the best currently running Broadway show to see with him and without him. <laughs> mm, I want to take our kids to see My Fair Lady because Lauren Ambrose was in it uh, of Six Feet Under Fame, and she was fantastic, but now Laura Benanti is in it, and she's just great. I'm a massive Laura Benanti fan. She knows how to find comedy bits and make, maintain a truth, and her voice is angelic. Uh, and I think that's kind of, I like the classical shows for 11-year-olds, because you do need to honor what is not all SpongeBob. Right. <laughs> uh, as far as adult-only shows, I cannot recommend immersive theater enough. Uh, so I, if you have not seen Sleep No More at the McKittrick, um, it's, do you know about Sleep No More? No. So it's, it's uh, Shakespeare's Macbeth by way of David Lynch or The Twilight Zone. They've taken a, a hotel, or they've taken a building, or an old dance place called, it's called Twilo, and they've turned it into a hundred-room hotel five stories, uh, bars, and you can just wander. Everyone who's, in, who's watching the show is wearing a mask, so you're anonymous. It's a very kind of weird, white Freudian-looking kind of mask. And because of that, you can follow one person the whole time, you can stay in one room, you can open drawers, you can read letters, sometimes they take you to individual places, but it's a different experience for everyone. And I just think structurally, it's spectacular. It's, a, it's, it's like eight and a half hours of material that's happening simultaneously in a loop. And, uh, and, it, and there's no dialogue, so don't be scared about the Shakespeare. It's just the stories of that. And it's all modern interpretive dance, and the casts have changed a lot, and they're, it's so great. It's just, it's like ether. It's really, it's a great show. But also, don't look up any more information than that. Because it's the best when you don't know what to expect. That's the that. best experience, I think, of it, is just letting it kind of wash over you. Thanks, Sorry. we're all in. Had to, had to put my two cents in. Sorry. As Julie Chen says, expect the unexpected. Um, Julie Chen Mendez. Sorry. I'm Matt. Um, I was 12 when your, uh, your rendition of Company like first hit YouTube. Nice. Uh, <laughs> And like growing up sort of really isolated as like a gay trans kid, like um, it was just a lot of the isolation of being alive like really spoke to me at a time when I like didn't know how to understand and verbalize a lot of what I was experiencing. Cool. Was that like feeling of isolation like intentional or just like sort of directed from personal experience? Um, I think, I mean, I, that would be a Sondheim question for sure because I think Bobby's journey within that show is a complicated one. It's a very strangely designed show. It was done in the 70s, and I think they were playing with anti-structure. And so, and so Bobby keeps being put into scenes with other people, and he feels removed from them. But what he learns from them, he doesn't take with him to the next scene. So as, a, as an actor, I was, it's, that's a hard thing, because if you sit and you have a scene and you give someone a hug and you have something, something that's grown, then you take that with you. But in this case, you weren't supposed to, so I didn't quite get it. So I was kind of isolated in that I didn't quite understand it. 
And uh, I was also very underprepared for that particular performance. It was supposed to be one of those uh, Lincoln Center, book in hand kind of staged readings of company, and it was fully realized with all these dance numbers and everything, and I was failing. I was failing. We would, it, was a, it, was a, it was a near disaster for me because I was in every scene, but I had these weird interstitial lines as Bobby. So I knew my songs, because I'd learned, learned those, but those scenes, those are the hardest ones to remember. It's better, easier to say a monologue, because you're in control of it, but when two people are talking, and then every once in a while you say, no kidding, that must have been crazy, then what happened? If you don't remember exactly where that goes, the whole scene stops, and I was tired, and I tried the scene, and I was rehearsing with every scene, and every scene, and I was just underwater. So I think my isolation was probably part just terror. <laughs> I mean, it, but that said, it's, it's a very, very interesting, interesting show, and I, I, I'm fascinated and, and super impressed that you had a personal connection to, to that version of the material. There's a, do you know about the UK company that's happening right now? I do not. They've, gender, they've changed the gender of uh, three or four of the characters, and Bobby's now female. Uh, and to the straight couple, oh, the straight couple is getting married, and she's and, and it's usually the woman that sings that uh, I'm not getting married today. That's now two guys that are getting married. So they've done some, and Patty Lapone is still in it. Uh, it's it's and it's supposed to be a, an interesting take on sort of the gender norms that seem a little awkward when it's performed. Uh, as written right now. Mm-hmm. Check it out. Yeah, with San Junipero, they said it was really awkward until I made everything gay. <laughs> well said. Thank you so much. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you. Are we doing okay on time, Heather Gallagher? Okay, good. Hi, Neil. Um, hey, what's up? First of all, I want to say uh, you were awesome and Hedwig had a chance to see it. Thanks. I know uh, Perfidia, the wig master, so. Perfidia, <laughs> He's great. Friend of mine. Thanks. Uh, just a quick question, aspiring actor, and uh, just wondering if you have any ritual or rituals you do before you do a scene or get on stage, because sometimes in class I know uh, we have this topic come up, like he'll say, like, you didn't have it at the top of the scene, but towards the middle and the end you had it, so I feel like hmm. a ritual would help. Do you do any kind of meditation? Uh, yeah, I sort of have some stretches I do, but uh, I think maybe I should probably do some vocal warm-ups or something. <laughs> vocal warm-ups are good. Breathing is good. I have a vocal warm-up that I do that's mostly breath-related, just to, just to like, breathe into your body more, as you can probably have been observing. I tend to put a lot of stresses in my neck, and so trying to keep the breath more fluid, less rigid, is probably a good... Um, metaphor for acting in a scene, you know? I think to be loose and not, and not too tight, it will save you in a car wreck. Okay. <laughs> and hopefully that won't be the scene you're doing. True. No, it is kind of like that. It's like you go out too fast in the scene and it's like, okay, dial Yeah, I mean, everyone's, it's a tr- I, I, I wish I could give you a more concrete answer because but I think actors are all, they're very different people. Some people are very technical, some people are very emotional, some people need a lot of sense memory to make it happen, and other people are bored by that and just want to be told when they're supposed to sit down. All of those are valid. So it's, it, the best thing you can do is 
be a conduit and not take things personally. Thank you. You're welcome. Last question. Last question. Oh, what about the Hi, Neil. Hi. Um, I wanted to say you have a very beautiful family, and I Thank you. adore all the annual Halloween photos that you guys do. Thank you. Who is the mastermind that creates these ideas, and which one has been your favorite? Of Halloween costumes. Yeah, we just started doing them because when you have kids, they're kind of like stuffed animals that move <laughs> when they're little. And so they're like, oh, you can be Smee. And you can be Tinkerbell. That's so cute. Well, there's four of us. We'll take a picture. And then uh, that was done. We had to beat that the next year. So we just kept getting bigger. David's, uh, I don't know. We talk about it a lot. I like Halloween. That's my, again, Halloween is immersive theater to me. But for the masses, you get to put on a weird costume and pretend like you're someone else for a night and go to haunted houses where you get scared, but they're not allowed to touch you. <laughs> I like that dynamic. Um, so, I think my, f I loved the Star Wars one that we did because the kids got into it enough that they, and they were into Star Wars. So if you look at that picture, Harper's doing the same annoyed expression that Carrie Fisher was doing. And David's doing kind of the perfect Han Solo with the gun. I got to be Obi-Wan Obi Kenobi, um, and Gid was, was Luke. Um, they're all pretty cool. We have a plan for next year, we think. Now the kids are talking. They have like, opinions. They disagree with you on stuff. So I don't want to do that. No, but it's such a good idea. There's only three, three guys, one girl, so we have to figure out, there's not a ton of things you can do, but I don't want to do that. Well, here's the deal. We make them sign. We make them agree, we get them to agree. We sometimes pay them. We make them then sign a form so they can't renege on this because they'll, they tried that too. The day before, I don't want to do that. I don't want to put on that costume. No, we have to do this. You have to do it. Put the costume on. So now we say that they can wear whatever they want for actual Halloween. But we're going to do the photo, like let us do the photo. And then you can do your thing for Halloween proper. So we'll see. You know, they seem like they're okay with that. What's your favorite one? The Star Wars one? Yeah, that was cool. I like the circus freaks. That was a cool one too. We did actually a hopper with the bearded lady. I think that's why she doesn't want to do them anymore. Now that I get it. Oh guys, <laughs> I have question. a last question. What about like a uh, like a speed round? Like you have to. It has to be a super super quick question, super quick answer. But we get through them real quick for those who are just remaining. Can really, you do that? Really quick. Can you do that? Um, let's stand up. Can you speed let's round? Let's stand it? up. Let's get that energy going. Let's do a speed round. Make it quick. What do you got? For set design, if there was any set that you were, you were on, if there was any set that you were on, that you could add one more thing to it, what would it be? Like in Barney's apartment with the hidden beds and stuff like that, if there could be anything else that you could add on. To and go. Sets. God. <laughs> um, um, I wish that in Hedwig there had, there had been more trap doors and, and abilities for things to move around on the set. Great question. Best answer. Thanks. Next, awesome. Go. I just want to say I've been rereading your autobiography, Thank and I you. wanted to make sure to say Kungaloosh, because like that was a really important moment so that we could maybe have. Nice. Kungaloosh. Disney, that's awesome. Awesome. 
Hey, buddy. The Avengers Club. What's up? <laughs> What's up, tall guy? What's the next Magic Misfits book gonna be about? The next... I really like them. Oh, thanks, man. The first one was about Carter. The second one was about Layla. The third one's gonna be about Theo. And then the yes! fourth will be about. <laughs> not said, not said. Thanks, buddy. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Speed round, speed round. Um, what was your favorite line from Unfortunate Series of Events? That'll do. My favorite the title. line. Uh, uh. I liked uh, Stefano because uh, <laughs> I came up with his anism with his voice because they had popcorn and he's trying to, in the in the scene and he's trying to move in and everything that he said is like this and he goes popcorn. And that wasn't even a written line, but we all said it for the rest of the whole run of the show. Popcorn. Awesome. Thank you. Great question. Last two. Why am I on my knees again? I know. Um, and I'm strapping so me. My question would be, uh, has it ever been hard for you to disconnect from like a state of mind that a character, like the search for a character has put you through? Uh, yes, it has actually. I think Hedwig was the most complicated in that because she was really just damaged and thought that her life was only complete uh, when someone else would make her complete and he wouldn't he wasn't acquiescing, so she had to find completeness within herself, and that, that combined with the physical grueling, I was, I was not the, the, the happiest person to be around during that chapter. Thank you so yeah, much. Yeah, of course. Last but not Last least. Question. Last question. Don't but not screw least. this up. You better not screw this up. Don't sh <laughs> She's gonna screw this question. She's gonna screw it up. She's gonna screw it up. Okay, okay. Hi, okay, so okay. my third uh, TV show is How I Met Your Mother, so I'm wearing a shirt that says, it's going to be legendary. Wait so it's been a for legendary it. Shirt. Yes, wait for it. Oh, your shirt says, wait for it. <laughs> yes. But my favorite quote of the whole TV show is, new is always better. And I want to know what's your favorite quote throughout the whole TV show. And if you could change the ending, what would it be? Guys, I mean, this is a union house. We got to get so, out of here. <laughs> so glad it was a speed round. Um... I did like the legend, wait for it, and I hope you're not lactose intolerance because the, the second half of that word is dairy. That was fun to say. Um, I've always uh, been a self-prescribed fan of the ending. I still think that the ending as written was great. I think that, I think that those that didn't like it, I totally respect what it could have been, but I, I think the nature of these writers in their 30s that grew up writing changed the way that they designed the show. As they aged, so did their minds. And so to have Barney uh, realize that he and Robin were not meant to be together, I think that that's a, a savvy call because that's what happens in life. People get divorced sometimes. So I, I, I recognize that some people thought that was a, a bummer, but I think once you know the end and all of that, you can go back and watch the show again with an even interesting, different perspective, a, a second pass. So uh, I wouldn't change a thing. Guys, thank you so much. Hey, thank you guys for sticking around. I appreciate it.
MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned, audience supported.